Well, I remember one of the years I was uh, here as a student at school, the, um, we, uh, I, I stayed during the summer. Uh, I was, there was a factory in town in those days called Pinko, and I stayed to work at the factory during the summer, got a little apartment in town with a couple other students uh, so we could just be here. And uh, I can remember walking across the campus during the summer at that time, and everybody was gone. And Elam had been such a powerful and holy experience for, for me. But all at once I looked at it, and I, had, I, promise you, I probably had the same kind of feeling you have when you look at a, at a dead body. When you look at the body and you go, well, I, I see that's the person's body, but they're obviously not here anymore. They're gone. I can feel they're gone. They're not there. And it was that same kind of feeling. You know, really what makes Elam special is the people, right? The, the, we have this incredible team of sacrificial people that have given so much of their energy and their life for you, you know, students that are here. And what makes Elam special is you, the students. Every year, there's a sense of joy we feel with new people coming in, but a sense of loss we feel at the end of every year because we know we'll never quite be, be together again in the way we are right now. And it's just a very powerful, it's a very powerful thing, this experience that has changed so many lives and affected so many nations and you are a part of it, this Elam experience. You're a part of the Elam story now. And uh, it was so wonderful to see that beautiful honoring of uh, Dick Grout. Wasn't that great? Let's give Dick a hand again and just. Well, I want to take a, a few minutes uh, and talk to you. You should have gotten a little note-taking guide. If you didn't get one, just lift your hands up. This is called How to Be an Effective Part of a Local Church, okay? Um, how to Be an Effective Part of a Local Church. Why, why do I want to share this with you? You know, you, often we, um, you know, you look at young people and you think, boy, they do this wrong or that wrong or this kind of stuff. But many times the truth is, and you'll, you, as a leader, you're going to experience this in the future, the truth is that you come to realize that the reason people are not good at what they do is because you as, as the leader have never taken the time to train them or to prepare them in any kind of a way. And so this little thing, how to be an effective part of a local church, I'm just going to share with you just a few thoughts and the amount of time that we have together. I may not get through all of it. I'll try to give you all the answers so that nobody walks out freaked out that they have a blank. But... Um, but but I just wanted to give you just a few thoughts about, you're going to be leaving here and going out this summer and plugging into local churches if you're smart. And how do you, how do you make a good connection in a local church? What's the basic skill? You know, uh, what's the basic skill that's necessary for you to be able to go into a church and to be able to be looked at as somebody who really is an asset, who really uh, makes an impact, or who really is a blessing. And so I want to just share with you some of these ideas, how to be an effective part of a local church. The first one, number one, is give up your rights. Give up your rights. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. 
But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Give up your rights. In your little uh, sheet here, just a couple pages in, there's a little triangle diagram. Uh, just look that. It's at the very, should be the very last, not, not the back, but the very last page as you open it up. There's a little, and, and uh, I, I've titled it The Cost of Discipleship right here. But the thing I want you to catch is in this, in this image, this picture, is this. You see on the side, it goes up and down. It says, the steps of commitment. And then you see at the top, uh, the arrows pointing in, my personal freedoms. And what this is saying is this. Every time a person makes a step of commitment, every time they move up in some kind of way, there is a loss of personal freedom that takes place. That is, if you're going to, you got to give up to go up. There's something that you have to let go of. If you want to be a leader in a church or something like this, have that kind of thing, you got to realize that there immediately is a sacrificing of freedoms that happens in your life. So if you look at this thing, you'll see it says community, attendees. You know, for example, the community. They're just surrounded. They're, they're totally free. They're just out there. They don't you know, have any particular connection. Maybe they might visit the church for the, for the annual Christmas special or something like this. But there, there's no real cost to them of their experience within the church. Then you have the regular attendees that come. And you see now, when a person becomes a regular attendee, there's a, there's a clipping that kind of takes place. There's a giving up of rights that takes place. All at once, Sunday morning comes around. And they have a place where they need to be. They got to get up in the morning. They got to get to the place. They have to connect in some kind of way. And, and, and so there's a loss of freedom that they have. Before they used to get up in the morning and they could say, well, what do we want to do today? Maybe we'll go play golf. You know, maybe we'll go to a brunch. Maybe we'll do this or do that. But no, now they've become regular attendees. They've lost a freedom because they're going to be at a certain place at a certain time in that time. And then the people who become members, who begin to take up some of the service responsibilities within the church. Now, here they are. They got to get up even earlier than the other people. They're making room for people. They're, they're uh, doing all the different things. They're greeting people. They're going out of their way. They're staying late to clean things up and to, and to t- take care of the place and all this kind of stuff. So we see the members. And then we go on and we see the leaders, and bam, again now, the leaders have another, maybe the leaders come in and they say, you know what, we're not going to park near the church building. We're going to park way across the parking lot. Why? Because we want to give the best places to other people. Before, they used to just come in and be able to park anywhere they wanted, do anything they wanted, whenever they wanted. But now that they're leaders, there's a giving up of their rights that, has to, that t- begins to take place. And they say, they say you know what, I, I'm, this isn't about me anymore. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I enjoy. It's not about what makes me happy. It's, it's a, I'm in a leadership role, leadership position. And so they give up their rights again. And then the staff. Staff have all kinds of uh, restrictions that they may have to embrace. You know, e- e- here at Elam, when people come and join our staff, we have what we call a community life agreement that we put out. And it, it puts all kinds of, of things that we ask them, look, because we are in this position where we are investing in the lives of young people, there are things that you might have been free to do. There are things that are not necessarily wrong, but we're asking you to limit your freedoms 
so that there will be no way that we would cause a weaker brother or sister to stumble in some kind of way. We ask you to limit your freedoms in a greater way. And so they come and they live here on campus in many cases, and they limit their freedoms. They restrict themselves, what they, the kinds of entertainment they're involved in, different kinds of things that they, they just restrict themselves in that kind of way. And so the higher you go in terms of leadership in the organization, the more your personal freedoms become restricted. Till maybe if we were to look at the very tip and point of this uh, diagram, maybe we would find Jesus Christ himself who gave up everything, including his own life, his reputation. He gave up everything so that he could be the leader to you that he's called to be in that situation. So you catch the picture there? So when you're going into your local churches, you've got to understand right away, as I come into this church, I, if, I, if I'm going to come in demanding my freedom, demanding my rights, I'm going to do it this way, I want to do it that way, this is my way, this is my, you know, you, right away, you're, you're missing what it means to be a part of a church. To be a part of a church means I have to restrict myself. I, do, I limit myself for the sake of others. I give up maybe what I want for the sake of serving others and reaching others and helping others. Okay, number two in your notes. Pick up your ministry. Pick up your ministry. As each one has received a special gift, gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Every single person, when you go to that church, you, you have to understand something. Every single person needs to have a ministry. Now, what that ministry is can be very creative and very different. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, the gre- always the greeter or the person who prepares the bulletin that gets handed out or all these other different ways we can serve. There are many creative ministries that you can have within the church. Uh, I think of the church that I pastored, some of the ministries that we had. I think of, uh, you know, a ministry to new mothers where there would be all kinds of care and support and expression made to new mothers that had come in uh, to there. And there was a whole team of of, uh, women who were committed to that and worked on that. I think of a group of guys who put together an oil change ministry. And they just said to, you know, those that were poor in our church, they said to those that um, were, uh, that had... um, single parent, from single parent homes or this kind of thing, they, they just said, you come on this day and we will change the oil in your car. And that was their ministry. That was their service. You know, when you're a leader, when you're a pastor of the church, I always looked at it that at least, I wanted at least, for me to feel that the church was really functioning and really things were really happening, at least 50% of the people needed to have some kind of committed ministry that they were involved in every week in some kind of way, giving, giving of themselves in that kind of way. And uh, picking up your ministry is a very, very important part of your job. When you go home this summer, don't go home with the kind of thing that it's, you know, it's going to be August before you start getting involved. Go home. If you can, sit down with your pastor. Sit down with the leader of the youth group. Sit down. Just sit down with them and just say to them, look, I'm home. I'm, going to, I'm only going to be here for 12 weeks or so, and, or maybe 16 weeks. I'm only going to be here for this certain number of weeks, 
and I really want to be used of the Lord while I'm here, what can I do? How can I serve you? How can I help in what's happening here at the church? And come with a, with a sense of getting involved, that you're going to give five, six hours a week to try and serve in some kind of way and help in that church that you're getting involved with. Okay, number three. Show up to church and small group. Show up. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is actually a very interesting um, verse because uh, this word stimulate, this is the only place that this word is actually used in a positive sense. The idea here is... um, when it says, let us consider how to stimulate, uh, some versions translate it, let us consider how to provoke one another. And the word actually refers to when they were trying to guide animals, trying to move cattle, they would use pointed sticks, you know, with a sharp point on it. And if you wanted the cattle to go a certain direction, you'd give them a little poke with the stick. And then the cattle would turn in whatever direction you were trying to get them to go. Okay, hey, we're going this way. You'd give them a little, come on, let's go. They didn't want to move. you give them a little poke. You know. So catch this as an image of church, right, that, that, that we're getting here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another, provoke one another. That's what's supposed to be happening at church. We're supposed to be jabbing some people. Provoke one another to love and get, maybe you felt that about Elam. You know, you came to Elam, maybe your church experience has been pretty kind of mild-mannered. You know, you kind of go, as long as you show up, they're happy with you. You came here and people are jabbing you all the time. Right? And you're like going, what is, what is, you know, they're jabbing you to pray, they're jabbing you to worship, they're jabbing you to, you know, you know, you, 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 you talk harshly to somebody and somebody at the table is jabbing you saying, what are you doing? And, and it just goes on and on and on, right? This is what church is supposed to be. It says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I can remember uh, years ago um, when my wife and I were uh, newly married and we had a friend over to the house, this uh, guy friend. I didn't want him to be my friend after this visit, but he, he, he came, came over to the house and he, was, and he ate with us. And when he finished the meal, he jumps up and he says, let me wash the dishes for you. Now, I had kind of a thing worked out with my wife, you know, where, like, she did the dishes. And all at once, she's looking at this guy, and she's going, yeah, come on. <laughs> he's washing the dishes here. What is happening? You know, she's, she, she's going, wow, isn't he nice? You know, I mean, and, <laughs> and you know, what was happening there was we, I was being provoked. You see what I'm saying? I was being stimulated. Right? I was being stimulated. This is what fellowship is supposed to do. It provokes you a little bit. Um, I, when, I would, uh, uh, when I was pastoring, I would, uh, I would tell the church I had four 
visions of what a church should be. This isn't in your notes, but you can write this down right on the edge here. Four, four ideas, quick ideas of what a church should be. It should be a filling station. It should be a trauma center. It should be a Bible school. And it should be a missionary base. Right? This was my vision that I had for our church. This is why I wanted to be a filling station. When people came in every week, coming in from the bumps and bruises of life, I wanted them to receive something, strength, that they, they'd get that tank full and they would be stirred up and encouraged. And, and it needs to be a trauma center because people are facing hurts and pains of all type, physical, emotional, all kinds of things. That The church is a place where people are healed and ministered to. I wanted it to be a Bible school, a place where leaders were developed, a place of training where uh, people were being taught the word and and, uh, able to do it. And then I wanted it to be a missionary base, that is, a place that was sending people out to the nations of the world. So when you're going to your church, when you're going back to your church, have this vision in your heart. Say, how can I contribute to this place being a filling station, a trauma center, a Bible school, or a missionary base in some kind of way? Okay, number four. Fourth way, we're talking about how to be an effective part of a local church. Cheer up your brothers. Cheer up your brothers. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. You know, we we often want to be authentic. And in in our desire to be authentic, we actually kind of lift the, the cap off of every dark mood that we have. As if somehow, if we were really going to be a blessing to the people around us, they have to look into the storms of everything that's going on inside of us, the situations, the things that are going on. Let Let me just say to you, sometimes a smile can really help. Sometimes a smile when you don't even feel like smiling can really help. It doesn't heal, but all the time, but often it will really help, just, just in the situation. And you have to understand this idea that emotions are funny. So we, we, we let our bodies and our behavior follow our emotions, but you can work it the other way around. You can take your body and you can say, okay, all hell may be breaking loose right here, but Jesus is still worthy to be praised. And even though I don't feel like praising him, I'm going to praise him anyway. I'm going to worship him. Now. I'm going to offer a sacrifice. What does it mean if I offer a sacrifice of praise? It means that I, I'm doing something I would not normally do. Right? If it's a sacrifice, it means it's, some, not even, it, 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 not, it's not just something I wouldn't normally do. It's something that cost me something. And I offer a sacrifice of praise to the Lord, even though my mood and my feelings and my things that are happening, they're not necessarily lined up. Now, I'm a very honest person. You know, you come up and you ask me, well, how are you today? You know, I'm just sometimes I'm, I'm not necessarily the person that goes, oh, good, good, how are you? You know, you ask me how I am today, sometimes I'll say, okay. 
which means like my head is still above water and everything is happening. But when I say my okay, I try to say it with enthusiasm. I try to say it with a smile. It's an honest reflection of where I'm really at. But I don't have to live in that place. There was a guy named Viktor Frankl. You can read about him you know, on the internet, do a Google search or that kind of thing. Viktor Frankl was, a Nazi, uh, was in a Nazi concentration camp as a young man. And while he was in this camp, he was, um, you know, he experienced all the terribleness himself that, that, that went on in that situation. But he also observed other people. And something happened that really shocked him. And this is what he saw. He said, some people, as horrible as the environment was, it was like something inside of them rose above the environment. And they almost became saint-like. And then he said, other people in the same horrible circumstances seemed to turn the other way, and they became almost demonic, sinister, horrible, caring about nothing but their own survival and their own way. And, they, and, 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 and he wrote a book. When he finally he ended up getting released from the camps, he didn't die there. And from that experience, he ended up writing a book called The Search for the Meaning of Life. And in that book, he makes this statement, a very, very powerful statement. He says this, the last human freedom is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. He said, he, he, he said the one thing that the Nazis could not take away from these people, they could do horrible things to them, but the one thing they could not take away from them was their ability to choose to love others, to care for others, to not worry about protecting themselves. To, he, he said they could, he, they could not take away their attitude. Now, you face all kinds of circumstances and difficulties and things like this, but you know what? None of these things can take away from you what God has given to you. Given, when he's given you the sense of who you are in Christ, when he's given you your identity, when he's given you the, the, you know, just all the things, the forgiveness, the cleansing, the new beginning, all these things that he's put inside of you. When he's given you the opportunity to praise him and worship him every day, all the time, whatever the circumstance is. When he says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He's saying to you, look, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what the situation is. You can choose your attitude. You can choose your attitude. Even the world recognizes this. Um, I read a survey of um, high-paid executives on how they hire personnel. And uh, this is what they said. They said it's 5% availability as the person there. It's 5% adaptability. Does the person have the ability to kind of fit in with what's happening? It's 10% ability, and it's 10% appearance. And they said, and then beyond that, it's 70% their attitude. The attitude of the person. You thought it was their ability. You know, that's how what they were hiring on. They weren't. They were hiring on the attitude. Attitude brings altitude. 
you get higher, things you can rise above, you can move beyond, right, in that way. And as you're going back to, look at this, what, what, he, what he says here. He says, cheer up your brothers. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's a choice. Give preference to one another in honor. That's a choice. Not lagging behind in diligence. That's a choice. Fervent in spirit. That's a choice. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. These are all choices. Uh, they're practicing hospitality. It's not because I necessarily want, you know, this big desire to have everybody over, but I'm going to, I'm going to, you know what, let's practice this, even though it may not be our personality. Maybe it's not my particular temperament. Somebody or some people are super like, hey, let's, you know, do that. But I'm, I'm going to practice this. I'm going to do this. I can choose. I don't even have to let my personality define me. I can choose to do these things that God tells me I'm capable of doing. And this is what you're, this is what part of what it means to be a part of a local church. Number five in your notes. Hold up your pastor and leaders. Hold up your pastor and leaders. Don't be contrary. Now, feedback is good. People who work with me, you know that, uh, they know that I've, constantly am asking and trying to get honest feedback. And even sometimes when different people disagree, I don't care. I want to hear what everybody has to say in the situation. I want feedback. Feedback is very valuable. But there's a difference between that and a person who has bought into the idea that it's their responsibility to kind of be the devil's advocate in every situation, right? That they have to somehow bring up the contrary view, the contrary perspective, the other approach, the other way, this kind of, in every single situation. Somehow they can never just, you know, you should know right away when it says, when the person says, I'm, you know, can I be the devil's advocate in this situation? Say right away, no, let's not do that, right? Let's be God's advocate in this situation, right? That doesn't mean we don't bring up critical issues or we don't talk about different things that need to be talked about, problems that are there. But, but let's not be contrary in our orientation. Um, if I have something negative to say to somebody, I often most likely will say it to them in private. I'm not going to bring up in a public setting or make some kind of big confrontation out of it or this kind of thing. We, you know, we're... we're, we're we want to hold up our leaders. You don't, you don't want the pastor looking, uh, you know, when, when he has an idea, thinking to himself, well, you know, probably most people will be with me on it, but so-and-so, they'll always be pointing out some problem. Some, you know, don't get that reputation as being that person that always has got to point out ten things wrong. Now, do you need to give feedback? Absolutely. Do it in a kind way. Sometimes do it in private. Do it in different kinds of situations. But don't be defined by that kind of, kind of orientation or that kind of approach. When I was a pastor, I used to uh, actually have a group. It was called Pastors Prayer Partners. And uh, every, uh, every month we would gather, there would be 40 or 50 men uh, from my church that would gather with me and we would, uh, they, we would have breakfast together and they would pray with me about burden. I would make a list of the different burdens and concerns that were in my life or in my heart. 
And, uh, and these were like people who held my hands up, you know. Uh, they, they supported me in the battle. They stood with me. And we need that kind of support. When I would tell my church how, how to pray for me, these were the five things. You might want to write this in your, in your notes. How should you pray for your pastor, okay? First thing I would ask them to do is I would ask them to pray for strength. Why pray for strength? Because, you know, um, weary people are, become cowards. It just is, you know, it's very difficult when you are worn out and weary not to, to, to be bold and courageous. You, you shrink. When you become weary, you shrink back. And, uh, and so I would pray for physical strength. Listen, those of you that get involved in ministry, it will demand of you everything that you have physically, mentally, emotionally, in every kind of way. If you, if you decide you're going to get involved, you know, full-time, kingdom ministry, even, even if you go into a local church, you say, I'm going to be an elder, a leader, I'm going to be a support in this place. I'm telling you right now, it will demand of you. And one of the things that you need is you need strength. You need strength, just physical strength to do the battle. And so I would ask them to pray for me for strength. I would ask them to pray for purity, moral purity in my life. Why? Because I know that one of the major ways the enemy wants to take me out and take me out of the situation, he could destroy my ministry, destroy my family, destroy my impact, is, is by by causing me to break down in the area of moral purity. So I, I would just pray for that. I would say, hey, look, I need all the help I can get, folks. You know, I'd like to stand in front of you and say, oh, you know, moral purity, you don't have to worry about that with your pastor. It's not the case. I said, you need to stand with me and pray with me and, and, and stand in that kind of way. And then the third thing I would ask him to pray for is my family. Because if the devil can't get at me and take me out, He's going to do something to one of my, the kids or my wife, do something. Because my whole ministry, my whole life, everything I've done could get, could get um, decimated, really, wiped out if he was able to get his tongs, his, his, his claws into one of my kids. Are you with me? And, uh, and so I would say, you know, you need to pray for my family. You know, don't just pray. You know, they're thinking pray for the church. Don't, don't worry about praying for the church. The church stuff's all going to get taken care of. My family blows up. You lost the pastor. You lost everything. Right? So you need to pray for my family. And then I would ask them to pray for creativity. Right? So that this thing doesn't get boring. We, in, in my house, we have a thing we call it a strawberry present. A strawberry present is something you give to somebody else that you really want yourself. You know, you give it to them because you're going to be able to use it. <laughs> right? They call that a strawberry present. And that's, that's what creativity is. When you pray for creativity for your leaders, that's actually going to benefit you, right? Because all at once, maybe church will be a little more entertaining. Things will be a little stronger, a little more encouraging. Things will come together in a good way. It's actually coming right back to you. And then last of all, my spiritual life. You would have thought spiritual life would have been first, but, but uh, uh, I put down there my spiritual life, you know, that, that, that whole area of my life needs to get, uh, uh, needs to be strengthened and built up. Okay, number six. Number six, offer up your tithes. Okay, we're talking about how to be an effective part of a local church. And if you think money isn't a part of that, you gotta wake up. Offer up your tithes. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. 
You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Listen, you may say, well, you know, when I get a job, then I'm going to tithe. When I do this, then I'm going to tithe. If you have money that is your money, you need to honor the Lord with the first fruits of all of your increase. And when I say the first fruits, when I tithed, like when I got a paycheck, I didn't tithe on the net. I tithed on the gross of of that paycheck. Even the money I never saw that went to taxes and things like that. Because I said, why? I'm not going to honor the government first before I honor God. I'm going to honor God with the first fruits of all my increase. So I tithed on the whole thing, honoring him first, right? And uh, pl- placing his, I'm not going to let the government get, first, get the first fruits of my life. I'm going to make sure that God gets the first fruits of my life and honoring him first above all else. I, I, just, I, I just, if there was any way I could encourage you and just stir you up and just say to you, make the decision right now. God is going to be providing for you in the days ahead. Some of you are going to be missionaries. Your whole life is going to be filled with finance. Some of you are going to be workers in local churches. You know what the truth is? The truth is your whole life will be coming from the giving of other people to that church, their tithes, and, and you not tithe cannot be done. Now, you may have heard somebody give you some theological thing saying, oh, no, we're tithing is Old Testament, tithing is the law, but uh, I live by the grace of God. Hallelujah. Keep my money in my pocket. I live by the grace of God, right? Let me just tell you right now, always the grace exceeds the tithe, right? It exceeds the law. Grace always, if you look at where um, the, the Lord compares the, um, the, what the law said to what grace says, you'll always see that grace far, the demands of grace far exceed the law. If you're only given 10% of your money and you're telling me you're living by grace, I'm telling you, uh-uh, I don't buy it, Right? I mean, there were seasons in my life when I was a pastor, when we were in our building campaign, uh, you know, things like that, that I gave 25% of my income away. 10% to the church's tie, 10% to, um, to the building campaign, and 5% to missions. And that was just, that was, that was the way we lived. We believed God, right? And when I say that was the way we lived, you know, the last few years since you've been around here, I drive a nice car. But these people that have been around here for 30 years, like back there, they know the kind of cars I used to drive and things like that. The Lord, uh, the Lord you know, uh, has, 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 has blessed here right now. But for years and years, we just lived sacrificially. We honored God. First fruits of all of our increase, we gave to the Lord. And I want to encourage you, you want to be an effective part of your local church? You want somebody to care when you leave? Start giving financially. It will make a difference. Okay, our time is almost up. Let me give you uh, these blanks to fill in. Okay, number seven, stir up your relationship with God. That means arouse yourself like a football player getting ready to run into the big game. Get around motivating people. Get around motivating events. But realize your relationship with God needs to be stirred up. Number eight, build up your family. Build up your family. There is no success in the kingdom of God where your family is hurt 
or is wiped out or, you know, this kind of thing. You have to make sure that you're taking care of your family. It's got to be a first and top priority because all of your ministry will get destroyed if your family gets knocked out. Number nine, listen up to sound doctrine. Listen up to sound doctrine. you got a good start for that here. Number 10, talk up Christ, sharing Christ with others. I remember uh, one time uh, two pastors were walking down the street, and there was a guy on the corner preaching on the corner. And one pastor looked at the other pastor and said, oh, look, look at that. He said, I, why do people do that kind of thing? It's turned so many people off. I, I, I don't think that's the right thing, way to share the gospel. And the other pastor looked at him and said, well, what's your way? What's your way? And that's the thing I would say to every one of you here. You may look at others and say, I don't like the way they do that. I don't like they do this. I don't like they do that. I don't care. You can say that. I don't care. That's great. That's fine. You don't like what they do. What do you do? How are you sharing the gospel? Right? That's what it means to be a part of a local church, to talk up Christ. And then number 11, grow up to victory. This is progress, not perfection. Grow up to victory. And number 12, reach up for your destiny. You need to have a life purpose. You need to have a life mission. I hope while you're here at Elam, that's part of what you're identifying and, and getting a handle on, getting that purpose and doing something every week that moves you toward that purpose is a very, very powerful element and a very, very powerful thing. Okay, so just I just wanted to just share a few thoughts with you to help you as you're going home to your churches, how do I get, how do I fit in here? What do I need to do? You take some of these principles I've talked to you about, you put them to work, your pastor is going to cry when you leave at the end of the summer, I promise you. Okay, let me pray for you. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you so much uh, when I think that that uh, just 10 or so days from now, we're going to be beginning our graduation activities and festivities and, and things like this. It just blows my mind, Lord, right now. And uh, Lord, I look at this group. I, I look at the seniors. I say they're ready. I, I look, look at this group and I say, Lord, you have been really doing something wonderful in people's lives, challenging, growing, developing them. And I just, I just stand with you in your promise that you're going to finish the work that you have begun, that they have destinies, they have purposes, they have things that you're wanting to accomplish in and through them, Lord. And I don't believe that there will be anything that will hinder that progress. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.